Good morning, Calvary. So as you know, we are still in our Advent series. And as I was coming in today, I was thinking that I hope some of you are not in the position like those people who think you can only have Christmas music from Thanksgiving to Christmas. I hope you're not thinking you can only have an Advent series up until Christmas, but not after. Because if you think that, well, I'm sorry, because we're doing one more sermon about Advent. So Christmas is great, and that's what I want you guys to see tonight, how great Christmas is. And the series we have been in is called Behold the Messiah. And what we've done is we've looked at a number of passages in the book of Isaiah that have given us a picture of the Messiah for us to behold and adore him, to anticipate him. And we are going to continue that today. So with that said, let me pray and we will get started. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we can come together as your people to hear from you. God, would you help us to be undistracted as we see what you would have for us from this passage in Isaiah. God, would it land on soft hearts and, it, and would you cause it to bear much fruit in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a kid, I would sometimes play a game with my friends called Kick the Can. And one of the best parts of the game is, even if you were captured, if one of your friends could kick the can, you'd be liberated and freed from jail and you could keep playing. And I remember as a kid, the joy you would have to finally be free. You're rooting for your friend to, you know, kick the can and free you. And that idea of being set free and liberated and the joy that comes with it is what we'll be looking at today. And the question we'll be answering is this. How can I be set free? How can I be set free? For many of us, myself included, there could be different things in your life. It could be sin struggles. It could be bad habits, whatever it is, that you feel like you cannot free yourself of. That no matter what you've done and how, you, how hard you've tried, you felt stuck and imprisoned and enslaved. And so that's the question we'll be answering. How can I be set free? And to just give you a little preview, the answer is going to be Christmas. How can I be set free? We're going to see how Christmas is the answer. Now, the passage today that we'll be looking at is Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 through 3. So let's look at that now. We'll read through it. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So what we see in, this, in these few verses is that God sends his Messiah and the power of the Holy Spirit to liberate his people. God sends his Messiah and the power of the Holy Spirit to liberate his people. And we're going to come at this with three questions. The first question is, what happened at Christmas? 
The second question is, why did it happen? Or why does it matter? And the third question we're going to ask is, how should we respond? What happened at Christmas? Why did it happen? And how should we respond? So let's look at that first question, what happened at Christmas? Look at verse 1 with me. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So what happened on Christmas is that God sent the Messiah and the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 1. And we know that in verse 1 and in this passage, we have the Messiah in view. And the reason we know that is because Messiah literally means anointed one. And so that's what we read, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. That we have the Messiah in view, and this is the one God is sending. And God sends the Messiah on a mission. When you think about it in the military, when the military sends you on a mission, they give you what you need to accomplish that mission. Or at least they should give you what you need to accomplish that mission. I see Chad is shaking his head. Not always. Well, if they're doing their job, hopefully they give you what you need. So if you're going on a mission to build a bridge, hopefully they give you the tools, the supplies you need to build the bridge. If they send you on a mission to destroy a bridge, hopefully they send some explosives with you. Well, in a similar way, God sends his Messiah, and he sends him in the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Messiah needs the Spirit to accomplish the mission that God has given him to do. Now, as we read this passage, I hope some Christmas bells have gone off in your head. And by that I mean, I hope this reminds you of some other passages in the Bible about Christmas. Look at Luke chapter 1 with me. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So this is what we see happening at Christmas. God sending his Messiah in the power of the Spirit. And he sends him on a mission. And for us today as his church, he is also sending us on a mission, the Great Commission. He has sent us to make disciples of all nations, to proclaim the gospel and the power of the Spirit. Now one thing I want you to see and not miss is look at verse 1 again with me. Look at the logic of verse 1. It says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And he tells him why or the reason. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. Now, if we read this too quickly, we could miss, I think, some significant elements of this. And what we can miss is this. Usually, we flip what verse 1 says around. I think we often fall into the trap of thinking that I first need to feel empowered, and then I can go tell somebody about Jesus, or go make disciples, or have a hard conversation with my coworker or friend. And what this is actually saying is that it's actually the opposite, that you first, you go, you are obedient, and as you do that, as the situation calls for it, God will empower you with his spirit. And I say that because I don't want you to fall into the trap of thinking you have to wait until you feel ready, or until you feel empowered, to go do what God has called you to do. In some ways, it's like this. If you were taking a nap, you would not expect to get a shot of adrenaline in your body. Right? Your body will produce adrenaline and pump adrenaline into your bloodstream when the situation calls for it. 
So if you need to, you know, protect your kids or, you know, turn over a truck because it's pinning somebody to the ground, that's when your body sends the power of adrenaline. Not before, not when you're taking a nap. And so in the same way, we need to be putting ourselves in situations that call for the Spirit to show up. It would be ridiculous to think that God will empower you with His Spirit when you're doing something that doesn't call for it. So we need to put ourselves in those situations. And as we do, God will empower you. He will empower you to do what he's called you to do. So we see what happened at Christmas. And now we're going to look at why did that happen? Why did God send the Messiah? The short answer, which we already touched on earlier, is that God sends his Messiah in the power of the Spirit to liberate his people from sin. Look at verse 1 and 2 with me again. Verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Now, as Isaiah goes on, he's going to explain what he means by that. What does he mean by good news? And what does he mean by the poor? He goes on, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. So what we see is that the poor we have in view here are those who are brokenhearted, those who are captive, those who are mourning, those in need of comfort. That is what Isaiah has in mind. And what the Messiah is coming to do is to liberate us, to liberate us from sin. If you think for a moment of somebody who is actually captured, to stick with the military idea, if somebody was a POW, what would be the greatest news for that person? It would be that they found out somebody or a group of people were coming to liberate them. If they heard that or knew that, that would be the best news in the world, to be set free, to be liberated. And in the same way, that's what the Messiah is coming to do for us to liberate us from our sin. And I love how we sing about this every Christmas. We even sang about it a few minutes ago. One of my favorite Christmas songs is O Holy Night. And in that song, we sing, A thrill of hope the weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The great thing about the Messiah bringing this liberation is that with it, it brings hope. If you were that prisoner of war and you knew somebody was coming to bring liberation, you would have hope to persevere and to continue. And hope is so essential. And when the Messiah brings this liberation, it comes with hope and it comes with biblical hope. Not hope in the way we normally use it in English, but biblical hope. One pastor put it this way. Biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. So if you're imprisoned, you would desire to be free. And now if you knew someone was coming to liberate you, you would have a confident expectation that you would be set free. During World War II, a man named Viktor Frankl was a prisoner of a number of different Nazi concentration camps. And after the war, he survived, and he wrote a book about his experiences in the concentration camps. And his book is called Man's 
uh, Man's Search for Meaning. And in that book, what Victor noticed was really striking. He noticed that in these camps, the prisoners that you think would survive often didn't. You would often think that the biggest, you know, maybe most physically tough prisoner would survive. And he said, actually, what you found is that the prisoners that actually survived were the prisoners who had hope. He said, inevitably, when you saw a prisoner lose hope, it would be quick and inevitable that they would die. And so he wrote it this way. He said, whoever was still alive had reason for hope. And the good news that the Messiah brings is he brings liberation, and with it comes great hope. And we need that hope that he brings, because without it, we will never persevere. We will give up when the going gets hard. And that is why the Messiah came, to liberate us, and with that comes great hope. So with those first two questions, how do we get to the third question? How do we respond to all this? What should our response be? And we've touched at it and hinted at it, and I hope it's obvious, but the response should be joy, happiness. What is the fitting response to good news? If it's good news, you're going to be happy and joyful. If someone came to you and said, all your student loans are paid off, all your debt is gone, you would be happy. When Kimberly and I found out that we were pregnant with our first child, August, we were happy, we were overjoyed, we had good news. And so that is the fitting response to Christmas. It's a response of joy, great joy. And again, we see this in another Christmas passage, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 through 11. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. If you are broken over your sin, if you are mourning because of your sin, if you know you have nothing to offer or bring to God, what would be better news than that he has sent the Messiah to rescue you and save you, to liberate you from your sin? That is great good news. That is the joy and the good news of Christmas. Now, as I was preparing for this and thinking through some of the implications of this, one thing that struck me was a question or a possible objection. And it's something I've struggled with before, but I was just thinking, so if Jesus comes to liberate me from my sin, I believe all this, and he's liberated me from my sin, then why is it still so hard? If I'm liberated from my sin, why is it so hard to be free of it? You know, you've tried and tried again and failed. Why is it so hard? I think we begin to get an answer in our passage And if we remember something that Pastor Ben had said last week. One of the challenges with a book like Isaiah is keeping all of the tenses, past, present, and future, organized and just keeping those in order. And what he means by that is that in a lot of these passages, Isaiah is talking about things that will happen at a certain point in time, things that will happen at another point in time, and things that will happen at the end of time. And so with this passage, we have the same thing going on. So for instance... The first fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 through 3, would have been with Israel. If you remember the story we've been seeing, Israel is on a decline, spiritually and morally. 
and God will bring his judgment on them and send them into exile. So the initial fulfillment of this passage will be when Israel returns from exile in Babylon back to their, back to the promised land. So think of it. If you're in exile, you're in captivity. You're a prisoner. You're mourning because you've lost your country. You've lost your culture. And so the initial fulfillment is Israel going back to the promised land when God brings them back. But we see a second fulfillment of this with Jesus and his ministry. We see this in two places, in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 11. Jesus refers to this passage. Let's look at one of those. Let's look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 through 6. In this passage, one pastor put it clever. He said, in this passage, we see Jesus trying to encourage a discouraged Baptist. Some of you are probably discouraged Baptists right now for a variety of reasons. My prayer is that what we're hearing today will help encourage you, but that's what's going on with Jesus in Matthew 11. John the Baptist is discouraged. So let's read it. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, He sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So what's going on? Why is John the Baptist discouraged? Well, he's discouraged because he's read this passage in Isaiah. He's read Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 through 3, and hopefully by now you've read it a few times too. And he knows what it says in verse 2. In verse 2, it says that the Messiah will proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and... The day of vengeance of our God. And so what John is saying is, I've been preparing the way, I've been preparing people to meet the Messiah. And I know that when this Messiah, and I believe it's you, Jesus, comes, he's going to do all these great things, but he will also bring God's vengeance on God's enemies. And so John is looking at what Jesus is doing and thinking, Jesus, I see the great things you're doing, but where is the vengeance? Where is God's judgment? Where is God's fire on God's enemies? Because that's what the Messiah is supposed to do. That's one of the things he's coming to do. And so Jesus responds, and it's interesting how he responds. He responds by referring to this passage, but he, he ends his reference before we get to that part about God's judgment or God's vengeance. And in Luke chapter 4, he does the same thing, and that's on purpose. So I think what Jesus is telling John is this. He says, John... I am fulfilling this passage. Look and see what I'm doing. Good news is being preached to the poor. I am fulfilling it. And I will bring it to completion one day in God's time. That's not for you to know. But what you do need to know is that I am fulfilling it. And the things I have done, John, let that be enough for you to persevere and press on until that day. And so... One of the reasons it's so hard today to be free of sin is because we live in that tension with those different tenses, the past, present, and the future. And one way to put it is this. On the cross, Jesus liberated us from the penalty of sin. 
And presently, through the power of the Spirit, Jesus is liberating us from the power of sin in our lives. And that's why it's so hard. It's an ongoing, hard process. But one God will bring to completion one day. And finally, the culmination of the good news is that one day God will liberate us from the presence of sin in the new heaven and the new earth. And Isaiah tells us about this a few chapters later. In Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17 through 19, he gives us a picture of that day when we will be free from the presence of sin forever. Isaiah writes, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. So Jesus, the Messiah, comes in the power of the Spirit to liberate us from sin. Jesus is the one who does it. And once again, we're going to go back to our passage, chapter 61, verse 1 through 3. I hope you notice something. Notice in the passage who is doing all of the action. Who does it all? Verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That is the great news about the gospel, is that we can't do it, but Jesus does. God sends Jesus to do what we can't do. Think of it. If you are locked in a prison of sin, and you have locked yourself in that prison and thrown the key away, You need the liberator Jesus to come with his cross and bust you out of prison. You can't do it. Jesus, the Messiah, and the power of the Spirit does it. Self-help is of no help. We need the Messiah and the power of the Spirit to liberate us. We cannot do it. And he starts it on the cross. On the cross, Jesus starts that liberation. On the cross, Jesus is broken so you can be made whole. He is made poor, so you can be made rich. On the cross, Jesus takes the vengeance of God for you and me, so we can experience God's favor. That is the good, joyful news of Christmas. And that is the whole point of this series, that we would behold that Messiah, the one who brings great joy and liberation the Messiah that we now serve, and praise God that in his service we find perfect freedom, perfect liberation. Let's pray, Calvary. Holy Father, you have freely given your Son. O Divine Son, you have freely paid our debt. O Eternal Spirit, you have freely invited us to come. O triune God, you freely give us grace for salvation. Prayers and tears could not suffice to pardon our sins, nor anything less than atoning blood. But our believing is our receiving. 
for a thankful acceptance is no payment of our debt. What did you see in us that we poor, diseased, despised sinners should be clothed in bright glory that we creeping worms should be advanced to such a high state that we who groan, weep, and die should be as full of joy as our hearts can hold, that we who are of dust and darkness should be taken like Mordecai from captivity and set next to the king, that we should be lifted like Daniel from a den and be made rulers of princes and provinces. Who can fathom your immeasurable love? As far as the rational soul exceeds the senses, so does the spirit exceed the rational in its knowledge of you. You have given us understanding to enclose the earth, measure the sun, moon, stars, universe, but above all, to know you, the only true God. We marvel that the finite can know the infinite. Here a little, Afterwards, in full-orbed truth, now we know but a small portion of what we shall know, here in part, there in perfection, here a glimpse, there a glory. To enjoy you is eternal life, and to enjoy is to know. Keep us in the freedom of experiencing your salvation continually. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.